Hi, welcome to My Creativity, the podcast about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Surrey. I reveal how I work, my projects, my process, well, my creativity. From planning and goal setting to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head and the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week, I go over the goals I set for myself last week. And at the end of the episode, I present some new goals for the following week. And this is an effort to keep myself accountable, keep myself following my progress along my plan. Now I've got a plan, of course, that has annual priorities, broken into quarters, monthly, and then finally weekly. I do encourage people who are interested in being productive and being creative to likewise come up with some sort of a plan. And then you can write down your goals, send them in to me, and we will be accountable together. You can get them in to me at surrey at gravityundone.net. Or you could DM me on Twitter or something, at Gravity Undone. So, I also go over my monthly goals, and that's August, in case you haven't noticed. So, my August goals were to review my monthly goals each week, which is what I'm doing. I've got to publish book two. I want to run a 15-kilometer run. And I release exit plan three, episode one. And I've also got to develop my business model. So at the moment, Gravity Undone is, it's as far as a sustainable business is concerned, it's a little bit amorphous. Uh, it's currently relying on, I guess, me selling my books. But I need a bit of a strategy around that, and that is not uh, a scalable plan that's going to work sufficiently to reach my dreams. So... Last week's goal, I wanted to run 10 kilometers, and I did that. That's nice. Today, I went for a run around the estuary here in Mandra. Beautiful. And it was a beautiful sunny day in the 20s. Um, supposedly, it's winter, but you wouldn't know it. So, release Exit Plan 3, Episode 2. Yes, I did that. That was nice this afternoon. Exit Plan is cracking along nicely. It's up to about 200 listeners per episode. So that's cool. Uh, I'm supposed to finish book two cover. I did not. I still have some tweaks and some bits and pieces I want to fix up on that. It's almost done. Uh, I've got a, I have previously tweeted a, um, a, a draft. Narrate chapter one. I also haven't done that. My goodness me, I have not done anything this week. What did I get up to this week? I'll tell you what I did. I did the exit plan episode. Uh, I realized that I had to do Space Brains recording and also editing uh, and production. So that's like some additional things I had to do this week that I didn't take into account when d- doing my goals. And it's very important to take these things into account. Uh, I have I've finished writing chapter 8 of book 3. That's nice. So there you go. So I I made a bit of a disappointment. Like last week I set some goals and I've I've done a couple of them, but then I clearly totally forgot what I was meant to be doing. And this goes to show you do need to review your goals daily, really, to make sure that you are staying on track, that you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. 
So anyway, tonight I want to talk about a wonderful exercise I did. I go along to a meetup every month, I think it is. It's called the it's called Skill Gym. And it's run by a training company called Skills of the Modern Age. And they are a training company that um, does training in, in design thinking and in problem-solving skills and personal growth. And so they run these little meetups, which are just these free ones. They're, they're an hour or two long, an hour and a half or so. And we cover different things. So we did this one, which was for mindfulness and self-awareness. And self-awareness, I know I bang on about this a lot. But I, you know, until you take it as a practice to daily center yourself and consider what's going on in your body, in your mind, your emotions, until you've done that, you don't realize what benefits you get from it. It's incredible. So I really do suggest you get yourself uh, some training in mindfulness. Uh, so we did this exercise, which are called Empathy Stories. And the the exercise was we we broke into groups of two, and I told a story that affected you know my life recently to my partner. In I know we had about a, a couple of minutes to do this, not long. And then once I'd done the telling of the story, we met up with uh, another group of two, and the person that I told my story to told my story to the other two people as if it were their own story. And then the other two people got to ask questions about this situation, this incident. And it meant that I got to sit there and watch to see the effect of what I had told. And it was very interesting because he got, the the person I told the story to, he got every single fact straight. He told this story almost word for word exactly like I said it and the people asked questions and there was a couple of answers but then one of the people who asked the questions asked the question how did this make you feel this this thing in your life and the guy just just looked confused and he sort of looked at me and looked around and went ah oh, and he started making guesses and I was watching this and I went oh geez you know I I told him Everything as a laundry list. It was just a, a checklist of facts. This, 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 this. And they're all external to me. I didn't tell him how any of those things made me feel. I didn't convey any emotion, no personal involvement. And I found that very revealing. And I looked at that then at my stories I was writing, and the, my writing style, and I realized that in many cases, it was the same thing. It was, um, uh, you would, I would describe a scene, I'd you know, create a setting, and then I'd have a list of actions. And so the story would progress. But I realized when I was reading that, that a reader has no clue on the inner workings of the mind of the characters. Very, very little feedback. You know, what are they feeling? What are they thinking? And so I thought, well, that's really interesting. And clearly this is some kind of um, 
I don't know whether it's an importance. I, I don't put a lot of importance on emotional life or maybe I'm afraid to reveal emotional life and it's sort of a defense mechanism. I, I don't know. I'd, maybe I go talk to a therapist and find that out. But what it did do is I went, okay, well, I want to be a better storyteller. I want to be uh, a better person, but let's go with storyteller for the time being. That, that being a better person can can come along. So I had a look at how I could um, upgrade my writing and my storytelling to to mean that the next time I tell someone a story and someone asks, oh, how did that person feel? They'll have an answer. So I, I use this framework and I I don't know who originally came up with this but I in my reading around and and listening to people I I thought it was quite a good one it's a three point system so basically when you go to write a paragraph or a chapter or whatever you're going to write some chunk uh which involves a story you first write the setting and I was doing that I'm I like to think that I'm reasonably able to do that then you sell the action so what someone is doing about something like so, you know maybe someone talks or or walks up to a someone I don't know some sort of action but then you do a reaction so then you go through the characters and you write at least one sentence that gives some insight into how the characters are reacting to the setting and to the action that's taken place and it sounds a bit mechanical, a bit methodical uh, or formulaic, I suppose. People might uh, say, you know, it's getting in the way of creativity. But I look at it the other way around and I think, no, actually, it's a framework that nudges me and encourages me to be more creative. Because I stop and I have to think, oh, what is a setting? Okay, this is a setting. What action is being taken? But then more importantly, I think, so how can I show what, effect this setting and this action is having on the characters and particularly the point of view character certainly exit plan is written from a first person first person perspective so the reaction is a sort of you know uh, a very personal one that's going to have that when your reader is reading it they're going to have this insight into the character who's uh, through whose eyes we're watching the world and I think, I think also this then, it made me think about how to do this reaction. And there's a rule, there's a whole bunch of writing rules that people come up with, and, and they, they include uh, basic grammar, like using commas in lists of things, for example. But then there's also the writing rules of show, don't tell. Because quite often it was very tempting for me to sort of say, you know, it was a bright, sunny day. Joe Blow walked out on the street and he felt hot. So I've done the setting. There's an action. He's walked out on the street and his reaction is he feels hot. But I've just told you that he felt hot. And for the most part, the, the rule, show, don't tell, would say, let the reader, the audience, know how being hot feels. What does that mean to this character? Because you've got to go deeper. You can't just say, he felt hot. It was hot. So as soon as, in fact, what I've really noticed now is that as soon as I start saying it was, 
or something or other was something, I think to myself, am I actually demonstrating that that is a truth? Or am I just informing someone? It was difficult to understand. Well, how? What makes it difficult to understand? Why? What does a character feel about it being difficult to understand? And and if it's hot, are they sweating? Are their legs... Uh, what do you call it? Chafing? You know, are they... Do they enjoy the heat? Is the shirt sticking to their back and it's sort of making them feel uncomfortable? Uh, you know, all of these sorts of things add that depth. And that brings me to the next point, which I always find very interesting, is this writing rules. And they get a lot of arguments about this on the internet. I, of course, have a strong view on this. And the strong view I have is that you should, by default, follow the rules. And the reason for that is because these are not rules that have been invented totally arbitrarily. They have been expressed as descriptions of how effective writing is effective. So it's not just some person going, oh, you should show, not tell. It's actually history and history of written written work and descriptive work and people have looked at the stuff that works well and draws people in and makes them engaged and the stuff that's kind of a bit meh and the stuff that's exciting and engaging and draws people in tends to more heavily show how effects are affecting people and I really have to think that You've got to question yourself. If you're going, oh, yes, but this is, you know, I'm a special snowflake. I'm something extraordinary. My book is great and my work is a great work of art. So I don't have to follow this rule. This is just this is just a, a guideline for newbies. And in a way, it is a guideline for newbies. But I think you're going to find that the great writers follow it too. And people like to point out situations where it has been broken in some award-winning book. And I think you're going to have to have a look and you'll realize that that's the exception within that work. And also that exception where they have not shown, but they've told, is probably not the reason they won awards for their writing. But... You might also look at it and realize with a greater appreciation and understanding of what show not don't tell really means and understand that they have not broken the rule. So how do you know when you have or when you haven't broken the rule? And I like to talk about this psychological effect called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And this I have to bear in mind quite a lot. And I think we all do. Because the only way to battle it is with self-awareness. You have to rethink your thoughts. So for those of you who have not heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, or maybe you've heard of it but you don't recognize it by that name, I'll give you a bit of a description. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias, which is the way it's a 
you're not thinking right. Where a person mistakenly believes that their ability is greater than it is. And it comes from the inability of a person to recognize their lack of ability. And without self-awareness, people cannot objectively evaluate their competence or incompetence. To put it simply, there's a beautiful chart of it, and I suggest you Google it and have a look. Along the x-axis is competence, you know, how skillful you actually are. And along the y-axis is your confidence, how skillful you think you are. And from uh, David Dunning, oh, who is it? and Justin Kruger, that's Dunning and Kruger, from their studies they found basically when you are totally incompetent, your confidence is low because you're like, if someone says, hey, sorry, how good are you at brain surgery? I go, I am totally not good at brain surgery. But then you find if you get a bit of competence, yeah, you get a little bit of experience, a bit of bit of knowledge, the confidence level shoots right up. Because you've got, this is, this is that, that phrase, you've got enough, you know enough to be dangerous. So this is where you've come out or you've, you've done a class, you've done a course. You know, when I came out of university, for example, I thought that uh, in those, I remember in the, I was about, I had about four years of experience out of university and I thought I was really good. I thought I was a fantastic computer programmer. I was amazing. I knew all sorts of things. It was incredible. I was, I was, and I'm like, Use some political terms here. I was great, you know. I re- I know things. I'm really good. So, it turns out I wasn't, because now I'm looking back and I'm looking at sort of the things I was doing and the way I was approaching things. I went, I had no clue, but I really thought I did. And that's the thing. As competence then goes past a certain point, confidence drops way down. So that someone could be really quite actually capable, but now they're competent enough, they're capable enough to realize how very little they know. And they look at the stuff that they do easily and they just assume that everyone can do that easily. And so again, there's a cognitive bias. And this is where you get a lot of things like imposter syndrome. You know, where people, uh, they've written a book, third, fourth book. Uh, So the person who's written their first book always imagines it's going to be a bestseller. And they're going to get a traditional publisher. And I've seen this said so many times on Reddit. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've just finished my first book. I'm in the edits now. Uh, you know, how do I get in contact with agents? Because I'm going traditional publishing. Self-publishing is for losers. Well, they don't say losers, but they usually say self-publishing is just not real publishing. I, I'm going to sell this book uh, and, and make a career out of it. And you think, you do realize that there's literally hundreds of thousands of other people saying exactly the same thing as you. You might. It happens, but geez, it's rare. Whereas this person who's on their third or fourth book, none of them have been picked up by a publisher. They're probably actually quite a good writer at this stage. You know, they've they've got a bit of experience in writing short stories and novels, but they're looking going, oh, you know, it's I'm not that good. My books haven't been picked up. It's easy to write an ollie. You know, I knock out a 120,000 word epic fantasy and 
don't know, a couple of months. I'm, but, you know, what am I doing here? I'm pretending to be a writer. I'm not really an author. I'm just, you know, useless. And that's, and that's that dip. That's that lack of confidence that comes with experience. And then they found, Dunning-Kruger, they found that with a bit more experience... These people are able, uh, start to assess themselves moderately confidently. They're going, oh no, you know, I've got some skills. I can do things. And this certainly applies to me. And I felt this, like I said, when I came out of uni, I had four years of experience in the IT world. And I landed a contract, which was not a bad contract. But that was, that was largely coincidental due to the, a particular skill I had on my resume, which was very unusual. Uh, a particular software product that I knew how to use. But I thought I was really good. Uh, I worked in that position for a little while and then I left and I got a job in a consultant company and worked with some like properly skilled and experienced people. And I just opened my eyes and went, oh, dear me, I know nothing. My confidence just dropped to the bottom right there, even though I was actually more competent. I was learning a lot from these people and I'd learned a lot in my time in, in that contract. But I just, uh, no, I didn't know anything. I like to think I've come out the other side now with about 20 years under my belt and go, you know, I there is, there's a lot of stuff that I can do uh, without necessarily working very hard at it because I've just done it so many times. But I'm not so confident as to think that I don't need peer review, I, that I don't need other people to have a look over my work and check it and pick me up on things. So it's interesting, this Dunning-Kruger effect and the rules of writing come into play here. Because again, I hear so many people saying, you don't have to follow the rules, oh, you just break them whenever you want, you know, they're just a guideline, blah, 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 blah. And in my head, I'm looking at it thinking, how skillful are you actually? I mean, do you actually get highly competent and skilled authors saying that? Or would they say, if you went and asked, let's let's talk about someone, I was going to say Terry Pratchett, but you won't be able to ask him anymore. If you were to ask Stephen King about that, and I always use him because he's been writing for a long time and he's gone, he's had his ups and downs, but he's uh, arguably a successful and very experienced writer. I had this strange feeling that he would say, you should show. Don't go thinking you can just go like telling whenever you want because it's the reader or the audience who will determine whether you can get away with telling rather than showing. And certainly I've read some of his books, and if you want to read a great book, it's the Dark Tower first book. The um, I can't remember what the dark first book is called, but it has such a strong world-building and showing of everything. And it's, it's marvellous. So there you go. The Dunning-Kruger... Um, Oh, so they, they did some more studies. And so I'll, I'll tell you a bit about that as well because there, it's a very interesting study. What they found uh, was... Blah, 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 blah. 
So they found out that when the experimental subjects were presented with moderately difficult tasks, there was little variation among the best performers and the worst performers in their ability to predict their performance accurately. So that's to say that neither of them predicted it very well. With more difficult tasks, the best performers were less accurate in predicting their performance than were the worst performers. Therefore, judges at all levels of skill are subject to similar degrees of error in the performance of tasks. You've got to check your ego. Yeah, so... Particularly men. They found that the men would tend to overestimate their abilities twice as much as what women would. And I'm going to guess that has to do with uh, social constructs and, and the promotion of and the role models that men have. Anyway, there you go. So find yourself some frameworks to use. And I use that setting action reaction. And I write my uh, write all my stuff like that now. It's it's not a strict setting is this many characters or lines, action is this much, reaction is that. But I'll make sure that I, I do a setting. So I, I will make mention of the time of day. Because I've had feedback saying, well, I didn't know if it was summer or winter or what time of day it was. So I, I sort of make some sort of mention of the time of day, usually in terms of um, where the sun is or how the shadows are acting, uh, or whether it's, and then, and then also like the weather. So whether there's clouds obscuring the sun, whether it's windy or cold or hot, uh, and describing that again in, in terms of, you know, seeing heat shimmers or the leaves being blown about or, or whatever. Action. Action, I just you know, tell the action. Reaction, then it's at least a little sentence of, you know, someone says, you know, I'm really eager to get to that place over there. And then there's a little reaction of, you know, um, curling snake of indecision was in his belly as he realized that maybe he wasn't quite so certain that he should go there or not. I don't, I don't know. I'm just making this up off the top of my head. And then part of this comes from myself when it's, and, and it brings in that, you know, I'm sort of skipping a bit out of the place here, but because in the reaction there, I have to work so hard to make sure that I'm showing what that reaction is. I'm really trying to pull uh, the audience into the sitting, the setting, trying to pull them into the action, trying to make them a part of it. And that's the whole point of this show, Don't Tell. If you've got a scene which is not integral, it's it's not something that, that people need to be in there, maybe it's documentary type uh, discussion or di- divulging, you could probably get away with just telling. And certainly if you've got a character telling someone, literally telling someone, oh, it was a hot day today, that person's not going to get in and go and say, oh, I was sweating and my shirt was sticking to me and my head felt a bit dizzy. And They might, depending on the character, but they're quite likely just to tell it, aren't they? But you're not really breaking the rule then because you've got to keep this Dunning-Kruger effect in mind that you're not special. You are only as skilled as you actually are and you probably don't know how skilled you are. So, you know, work with a bit of caution. Okay, well, anyway, I think tonight I've been a little bit over the place. Some things to think about, though, I hope. 
Let's see. Next week's goals then. So I've said August. I'm going to run 15 kilometers by the end of August. And we are coming up close to the end of August. Next weekend. Okay, I'm going to do 10 kilometers again next weekend. Because then the following weekend I'll do my 15. The very last day. 10 kilometers. Uh, I am... I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to do some narration of my audiobook. So that's chapter one because because I just didn't pay attention to what I was doing. And judgment day. The kids are away next weekend. So that'll be nice. Today was all the kids had friends over and there was it was uh stuff going everywhere. Okay, book two cover. Book two cover. Because I need to get book two ready for publishing. And that's it. So until next time, have a think about how skilled you actually are and whether you should be ignoring rules or not. Have a think about maybe some frameworks you can use to ensure that you are presenting the strongest story that you can. That's all. See ya. See ya.